Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Competent Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, as always, Chris Flaming, And I have the honor today of hosting Jason Weiss to the podcast. He is a Florida-based attorney with an emphasis in business litigation, sports and entertainment transactions, and consumer protection. In his spare time, he served as an adjunct professor. I don't know how I pronounce that word right. I usually get that wrong. Jason, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Yeah. So before we get going, I don't even, what does adjunct even mean? Can you <laughs> just, what is that? Sure. It's basically like, I'm not full staff. I'm not okay. Owner, and you're just coming in and, and helping out. So it's basically like a professional comes yeah. in and takes supplies. Okay. So you have your own business or you're in some in an industry and then you're uh, assisting the college or the university and teaching in some fashion. Spot on. Okay. All right. Adjunct. I like that. All right. So I know you, we were talking a bit before the show started. I know you have an interesting backstory. So maybe you can take us through kind of a brief history of what led you to where you are today. I grew up in a Jewish household in New York. And it was Dr. Lawyer. That that was it. Okay. <laughs> um, it's funny because my uncle, who I like, I'm, I'm very proud of, and, and he's just like a patriarch uh, in my family. One of the smartest people I know on the planet. Very, very well-established surgeon. And then I had a cousin. His name was Bruce, who was also an attorney. And I remember going to a tennis club and pulling up my parents in a station wagon. And my uncle's Mercedes were there and Bruce's car was there. And I'm like... Jaguar. Wow, that's a nice looking car. Right. And my mom's like, I'm like, what does Bruce do? And I'm probably six years old, five years yeah. old. She's like, he's a lawyer. And I said, I want to be a lawyer. And that was it. All about the car. So for me, okay. it's all cars. <laughs> all right. So do you collect or something or do you just I like bet, having a nice one? Okay. So you uh, like I mean, that look, I like to drive a nice car. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not at the financial point of my life yet where I can collect. I would love yeah. to. That's a goal of mine. But yeah. I've got teenage kids that are in school and okay. lacrosse traveling. So yeah. right now, I'm just happy driving a car. Right. Yeah. Something that works. Point A to point B. Right. Yeah. It gets good on the road. Okay. So then always wanted to be an attorney with that family influence. So then um, how did you kind of get to where you were picking? your emphasis points or your areas of practice that you focus on? How did you come to that? Kind of fell into it. So I went to the University of Miami for law school and, you know, they asked us what they wanted to do. And at the time that I was in law school, Jerry Maguire, the movie had just come out or recent. And I'm like, that's me. I want to be Jerry Maguire, just like every other person in my class. We all be the next Jerry Maguire. And a couple of the professors I spoke to and I knew a judge uh, and they all told me, look, chase your dream, but make sure you you learn the other stuff. And I did learn the other stuff. And I went and worked uh, actually at the Department of Justice for two years 
in the immigration court while I was in law school. And uh, I got to learn and I got to, I learned how to write. I learned how to talk. I, and it was great. And then I took a lit skills class and I basically me and another attorney uh, now we booked the class like she might have been one and I was two or I was one and she was two. Depends who you ask. But either way, yeah. um, we were the top two students. And uh, I just I had an act for it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And here I am 21 years later uh, doing litigation work. But I've done, I, I've pivoted throughout my career. And I don't yeah. like that word, but I, I've transitioned. Um, mm-hmm. COVID really had me look back at parts of my practice and kind of tame them down. And I've now moved more into what I call a fractional general counsel role. Mm. That I have five or six larger clients and I handle anything they want from mm-hmm. a speeding ticket to defending them in a class action lawsuit. Okay. All, you know. So uh, across the game, and they love it because they pay me a set amount every single month. And I love it because I don't have to worry about chasing down bills and do I have enough yeah. month or down. It's consistent. So, right. And it gives me the autonomy. Yeah. Plus it allows me to do so many unique things. Uh, and, and I love learning and doing if there was a negative it was i wish i could spend more time on certain projects to learn more because that thirst for knowledge is it, it's there uh yeah. and me i i can't quench it i just want to learn 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 and you know you only have so much time in the day yeah well and that can be so valuable for clients knowing that they have one place to go that's you know kind of how we designed our planning practice which i tell people that we work with any financial question that you have, it doesn't have to be investment related, but it has to do with your finances. I'm here. You want my opinion? You want my recommendation? You want my suggestion? I know about your financial situation, probably uh, maybe even a little bit better than you do personally. So I can make comment on that. So if you are faced with something, a big life transition or decision, I'm here. Call me. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of peace in that for that. For that client, they don't have to go to multiple places to do that. So I'm wondering if you could go back in time and give yourself the younger Jason, if you could give that person some advice, something you know now that you wish you did when you started out, what do you think that would be? It would either be don't go to law school or it would be ask more questions. Mm. Because when I saw Bruce about four years ago at a bat mitzvah of a family member, and I told him that's why I went to law school he was telling me that, you know, that car wasn't all it was cracked up to be and he got it used and it was falling apart. And at that point in time in his life, he just started practicing and, you know, it was it was day to day with money. But the difference between him and I, even to this day, is he told me he loved it. Yeah. And I cannot say that I love what I do. Um, and, and I love the business of law. I love it, love it, love it. But the everyday practice, I could do without. And I just want to just back up to one thing that you said, Chris. Um, I think it's awesome that you have that with with your clients that they can come to you and it might not be in your wheelhouse. I'm sure that your 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 connection base and your your book of business or your connections, you might not be able to answer the question, but I'm sure you can work, you know, get your client to marry or, or Susan or or Joe and and assist and guide. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of times it's, well, what's in it for Chris? Nothing. I just want to take care of you. And I get yeah. that frequently. Oh, you're going to, you know, sit in a meeting with me and this other attorney who handles divorce and you don't do divorce. Yeah. Well, what am I paying you? Nothing. I, I want to make sure you're taken care of. Or let's yeah. get on a phone conference together. Now, yeah, I have to drive up to, you know, the middle of Florida and, you know, sit in the meeting and I wait and I have a whole day into it. Yeah, I got to make money because I got to make yeah. money. I'll get yeah. on a Zoom with you for half an hour to talk to your financial advisor, your family law. No problem. I'm, I'm yeah. here to help. Yeah. And people don't always get that. They always think that it's chasing the mighty dollar and, you know. Yeah. It, it's not all about that. It, it's yeah. really just about being a good person. I, I truly believe that. Right. Treating others uh, with respect and the dignity they deserve as being a human. So are, are there some common misconceptions that people might have initially when they work with you? Uh, maybe not about you, but just like about maybe what you do or just in terms well, of general. I think, I think some of the misconceptions are I get it all the time. Are you sure you're an attorney? Like, are you sure that, you know, th this is what you do? And, right. you know, we were talking before, yeah, the gray hair shows that, you know, I'm an attorney, but no, because I'm not the typical attorney. I don't start with, you know, my name's Jason Weiss and I went to this and I did that. And no, it's look, tell me what's going on and let's see what we can do. And if I can mm -hmm. help you, let's do it. If I can't help you, let's get you to the right person. Yeah. Okay. And I think people are always scared about the second they talk to an attorney, cha-ching, the meter starts. It's like you get into mm. a cab in New York City and the meter starts the second yeah. the door closes. Right. I don't operate that way. I have a great relationship with my clients where they know if they're calling me to ask a quick question, hey, Jason, can you just look over this one sentence for me? Or can you get me in touch with an attorney? Or can you get on a phone call with me for five minutes and talk to the bank about something? Like, yeah. I don't bill for that stuff. It'll show up, but it'll say no charge. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, hey, Jason, you know, we got to go to Orlando to meet for a client and do this and do that. Yeah, I'm going to get paid for that. But yeah. I don't need, what am I going to charge you? You know, $40 to get on a phone call with you? It, it's not worth it. Right. And I think the important thing there is it allows my clients to come to me before a problem happens. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't call you because mm -hmm. I didn't want to bother you. So I signed the contract, but I didn't understand this sentence. And now I'm getting sued. Yeah. Well, if you would have just called me, well, I didn't want to spend the $40 or the $80, yeah. but I don't charge for the phone call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I learned that <clears throat> when dealing with clients with trust and estates, because every time they would call the probate attorney or the attorney, they'd get dinged and they'd be like, I don't want that. I'm like, I don't do that. Right. That, that's not how I work. Yeah. So I'm curious then, do you have kind of an ideal client that you like to work with? Or a typical one or an ideal client? I like working with the clients who will let me in. And when I say let me in, let me let me see the inner workings. I don't want to just be like, hey Jason, we got sued. Can you handle this? I okay. want to be I want to be part of the family. I want to be part of the team. Uh, and that's why I, I love I've embraced this fractional general counsel role. You know, I, in the past, I can have 50, 60, 70 clients at any point in time. Mm -hmm. I've now narrowed my practice where I've got 10 or less. And that's intentional because I got five or six that need me every all day, every day and all of this. And I got three or four that it's every once in a while something pops. Mm -hmm. And when I like something like a project, like I work with a film production company and when they're doing a film, I love getting involved. Another company that is um, 
having to do with building spec homes. I love it. I'll go out there. I'll do the inspection. I'll walk it with them. I love that stuff. You know, fighting over, you know, uh, a phone call that they shouldn't have gotten. That's the kind of stuff. It's like, ugh, I don't, you know. Yeah, right. 20 years ago when I started practice, I'd take anything that comes in the door. But now yeah. that I've been doing this for 21 plus years, I can be selective. And, yeah. and I like that. And I, I'll, I'll work with people that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That to me is huge. If I like you, I'm going to want to work with you. I'm going to want you to know about me. You'll know about my, my son playing lacrosse. You'll know about my daughter dancing. I'll know about my client going to a restaurant for dinner and I'll send a bottle of wine. Like mm-hmm. I love doing that. And I love the extra. When I know my client's birthday and send a, a cupcake or, or a piece of cake or a balloon or a text, or it, it makes me feel good. Yeah, well, life's too short, right? To spend time working with people either that don't appreciate what you do or um, that you don't like or have a connection with. Okay, so I know you talk about this uh, fractional general counsel stuff. Um, I also know you have a background and some experience in the sports and entertainment law. Okay, so how did you establish that emphasis or how did you pick that? Was it because of the Jerry Maguire thing? But I mean, it probably goes a little bit further than that. So maybe that was the motivation for it. And how did you establish that? So I I went to law school wanting to do sports law. That's all I wanted. And then I got into the reality and I started right out of school doing insurance defense. And it taught me a lot of stuff. And I had a great mentor and a great teacher. And I was there for about a year and he taught me the ropes. It was great. And then I went over to a firm that was trying to develop a sports and entertainment practice. Okay. Uh, they'd worked with a couple of radio stations uh, doing broadcast rights and, and all of that. And I literally um, walked into, and this tells you how old I am, a sports authority store to buy a basketball for my grandmother to get Pat Riley to sign. Okay. So that, that t- just to sign, it was an autograph thing that I was going to. There was a big gentleman there. And we started talking and I asked the store manager, who's the gentleman? And he said, oh, he's, you know, a professional boxer, former, former champion, all this. And I went up and I bought four sets of gloves, had him sign the four, gave one to a boss for the holidays, one kept it for home, blah, blah. And we started talking and he's telling me about his agent. And I'm like, well, do you have a lawyer? Well, no. Wait, you have an agent, but not a lawyer? Yeah. All right. Fast forward. I invited him down to the firm. We had lunch, uh, landed my first sports and entertainment client, right place at right time, yeah. uh, which then turned into three or four more others. And then before you knew it, um, you know, I, uh, I, I got to be careful. You know, I can't keep that, but a, a professional football league, it me as part of the liaison program yeah. doing to yep. come and, and meet with and speak with some of the athletes. And I got yeah. to do that in 03, 04, and 05, I think. And it was just awesome. And I loved dealing with the players. Yeah. But I so, got to see the other side of it, which was funny, uh, and Jerry Maguire, because I got to see a very, very prominent, well-known sports agent on the day of the draft, within hours of his client becoming a millionaire, getting fired and someone else rehired. And, you know, you invested at least two, three, four years of time into this player and you lost him on game day. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that kind of opened up my eyes where I was like, well, maybe I don't want to be an agent. Maybe I want to be the lawyer for the athlete. 
And yeah. I start shifting to that, doing more, hey, I don't like my agent. Can you help me? Hey, I'm getting sued because I didn't have insurance. I want to set up a 501c3. I wanted yeah. to buy a house for my mom. And before I knew it, I was representing a lot of athletes doing their legal work. Mm -hmm. And I called it sports law. But the truth of the matter is sports law in this case was real estate law, uh, intellectual property law, litigation, mm -hmm. but it had to do with an athlete. And I just, you know, I, I live in it. I'm still in there. I still represent a couple of uh, athletes and their financial advisors and now I'm really getting up to speed on, on the NIL deals, which yeah. are making image and likeness. Right. Because I'm a 15 year old yeah. who is being heavily recruited and not recruited. That's the wrong word, but heavily into the lacrosse and is getting legitimate looks. Yeah. And I want to make sure that college is on the horizon for him. So I'm yeah. looking at NIL deals and we're seeing what we can do. So what are the, along the same lines, what are the kind of the unique factors in dealing with uh, sports and entertainment people as clients that maybe a typical client wouldn't be concerned with? I feel like if you're a well-known athlete and you've got some sort of presence or following, especially now with Instagram and, yeah. and everybody has a camera phone and everything else, you're constantly on the radar. So you're mm -hmm. walking around with a, with a, with a target on your back, Yeah, um, you know, if you go do something at a restaurant, let's say, and, you know, you're, you're unhappy and, you know, you call the manager over, no one's going to say two words. But if you're a, a six foot seven, you know, huge muscle ripped guy or, you know, you're uh, an athlete or something, people are already, they're going to start looking. At, oh, he must play football or basketball yeah. or baseball and all of this. And then if he's like, yeah, I'm just not happy with this meal and they start making a big deal out of it. And then he's on Instagram. And then so I think they're the athletes are under a microscope mm -hmm. at all times. Mm -hmm. And when I first started practicing and I was dealing with celebrities, you know, we would go to a club and there wouldn't really be phones where they can take pictures and there wouldn't be this. Now, I don't think an athlete can walk down the street without photos being taken yeah. of him. Right. So the working with the athletes is interesting uh, and it's fun because I get to be the person behind the star. No mm -hmm. one's coming to the game to see me. No one's coming right. to the event to see me. And if no one knows that I'm representing athlete ABC, that's great because that means he or she is out of the news and yeah. isn't getting into trouble. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and there's some, I'm sure there's some considerations around um, length of career, right? So yeah. from a, from a making money in a short period of time standpoint, you know, this has to be able to be managed correctly to set them up for the rest of their life. And is it, I mean, is it true? Maybe it's a misconception that everyone comes out of the woodwork wanting some kind of help or assistance that's ever known them. Yeah. Everybody comes out of the woodwork and, and everybody wants to help. And Mike, you know, it's funny when usually when an athlete signs his or her first contract, it's like the money is coming in and it's so great. And then by the time their second contract rolls around, depending on the league and, and you know, whatever, they've learned that it's, hey, I want to put it away. Hey, I can trust this financial advisor. Hey, I'm not going to use my uncle or my brother or my cousin or the guy down the street. I'm going to use somebody that's, you know, established and they yeah. know what they do. Because 
And what's great, especially in Major League Baseball and the NFL, I can talk more about those, even the NBA, the players talk. So the younger guys will go speak to yeah. more some of the seasoned vets. And they'd be like, you know, hey, look, I just got my signing bonus. What do I do? Oh, you know, you should roll it into this and put it here and do all this and talk with this guy and talk with that guy. Yeah. So with regard to the players, they talk and mm-hmm. they want the person that's there to take care of them. I mean, I've been a designated driver for clients of mine. You know, they want to go out and they want to have a good time and, and do all this. And great, we'll, we'll rent a car or, you know, we'll get we'll hire a car and, and I'll drive. And gets everybody safe and I get to go watch the game on the 50-yard line. Right. When, exactly. Yeah, two thumbs right. up. No kidding. Yeah, and, and they like the fact that I'm not drinking and I'm not going out and I'm not doing this, that I'm the responsible one. Like camp counselor, you know, yeah, cruise direct. Right. I yeah. love Captain Stubing in the yeah, love boat. Yeah. Okay. So I, I appreciate you kind of giving us a window into that industry. Now I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you just on a high surface level for a lot of the clients we have that are that are older, you hear this term uh, elder abuse. Okay. So maybe you could just simply kind of define for us what, what that is and when an attorney typically gets involved if, if that's going on. So the elder abuse is going to vary by each state. Um, There's usually an age criteria. I could be as low as I think I've seen 50, but definitely 55, 60, 65, that if you do something that would ordinarily not maybe be a crime or not be as bad uh, to someone over that age, it's Mm kind of like you're taking advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the, I dealt with a case years ago where a gentleman um, sold a car to another gentleman, and my client was the seller of the car and never got his money. So we sued for just, you know, breach of contract and mm-hmm. conversion that's taking of someone's property without money and all of those. And we also went ahead and reported this to the state attorney in South Florida, and they opened up an elder abuse case. And believe it or not, they came and the the gentleman on the other side was actually arrested because it's a crime. And, you know, my client wasn't fully recouped on the money because most of it had been spent. But this gentleman who did it got some criminal repercussions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at least I could talk about in Florida. Yeah. It protects the elderly and gives them an opportunity to get a little extra protection. So if you're going to do something scummy and you do it to someone over the age of 65 Mm -hmm. you also have the state helping you get them to stop right there's repercussions it's not just yeah you're you're a scumbag it's right there's also consequences for that okay or or just sue me and i'll see you in court i'll file bankruptcy okay but you're also going to potentially have you know some criminal you know, possibilities. And and I need to be careful with that because as an attorney, I'm not allowed to say, well, if you don't make my client whole, we're going to file a police report or my client's going to take criminal action. That's extortion, not black. So what I can do is I can say, look, if you don't pay my client back, we're going to sue you civilly. And I want to let you know, my client already went to the police and reported this. Yeah. I don't even think, and I wouldn't cross the line saying my client is thinking about going to the police, I think it's okay, but I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I tell my clients, look, you want the elder abuse, you go do it. And I can tell them you did it or mm-hmm. let's not mention it. 
Yeah. And they, they just need somebody to advocate for them because it's so complicated and it's easy to get confused about what's allowed and what isn't. Correct. Okay. So maybe uh, you could share with me, this is kind of switching gears, something outside of your practice that you're really passionate about personally. My kids are my okay. number my number one passion my daughter is an avid avid dancer and a phenomenal artist and she does a lot of that and you know whenever she wants to dance and and perform and draw and take pictures my son is his passion is lacrosse okay Uh, so we travel all over the united states this summer we were in every state he was playing all over the place he has his own lacrosse brand his own lacrosse charity and it's awesome. And when I'm not doing lacrosse and dance, uh, I'm usually hanging with my wife in the garden with our uh, fat lab. Okay. That I, I don't know from experience, and but I've heard that dance thing is a big commitment with all the competitions and the uniforms and the. Oh, yeah. But it's it's one or two shows or three shows a year. So it's yeah. not so bad. You're inside. Okay. It's right. Local. My son, I mean, flying in and out of Delaware four times in, in a six week time period. And you can't, you know, you can't just, <clears throat> you got to fly in somewhere else and drive to of Delaware. Course. Right. So yeah, yeah he did a lot of that this summer, but he loves it and he's good at it. And his grades at school are phenomenal. And, you know, my passion is to do anything and everything I can to give my kids everything that they work for. I don't yeah. just hand it off and say, here you go. Yeah. But look, you show that passion, you show that love. Nobody's going to say that mom or dad stood in the way of you achieving your goal. You yeah. can not get your goal, but we're going to support you. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to be the obstacle. There's already enough of those to go around. Exactly. Right? Okay. So maybe uh, you've given some thought. What do you see as kind of your biggest opportunity going forward with your practice? You know, it, it's funny. Um, when this whole COVID situation started and we did, we started doing everything in zoom uh a lot of people were like you know i missed the interaction and i missed this and i missed that i started interacting with people all over the world and i actually started and, and, I'm, and i'm getting it out there uh and i don't want to use foul language so i'll clean up the title of my course and uh, i'm actually offering a program offering like a mentorship and i'm calling it the stuff but it's not stuff. It's yeah. an S with a you know with a money sign with an H I T. Okay. Uh, that they never taught you in law school. And I'm teaching and I'm mentoring and I am consulting with lawyers all over the world and all over with experience uh, is, is in law school up to you know people that have been practicing forever and want to sell a practice about the stuff they never teach you. You have a client who's not happy with a bill. How do you handle that? Yeah. Well, I don't know. You have, um, you want to get more income. You want to get referral fees. You want to build your book of business. You want to switch your practice. How do you do that? I don't know. So I've been teaching other lawyers what to do. How do you use social media? How to get your name out there? How to speak? How to land clients? Where do you go? Like the perfect misconception is, oh, I'll go to the local bar event and, you know, I'll get clients. Right. No, you won't because you're in a room with, 50 or 100 other attorneys. Right. They might say, oh my God, you practice family law and I don't, I can send you a client, but usually not. I've picked up most of my clients either through friends that I've helped 
And they'll be like, you did such a great job for me. I need to introduce you to this guy. and He owns a business. Or just being out on a little cross field, being out at Home Depot and Lowe's, uh, being at a dance show. Being, I played adult kickball, playing kickball. Like that's where I got my clients that have been my long-term clients and have become my friends. And that's where I see myself going mm-hmm. because it allows me to do the business and not the everyday practice. But at the same time, I've been, I'm hoping that I do such a stand-up job for one of these clients that has me on fractional that a big deal will come or that they'll just say to themselves, you know what, we need you to be part of our team. What would it take to for full time? Yeah. And, you know, as long as I have some flexibility where I'm working and I can still travel for the kids because I work remotely all the time, I'm open to it. Yeah, that would be that would be a good gig for sure. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Awesome. So on the flip side of that, Jason, then what do you maybe see as your biggest challenge or obstacle that you would like to overcome? Because I'm primarily, you know, in the litigation and business world, mm-hmm. uh, my entire day from smacking my alarm clock to not wanting to wake up to trying to fall asleep at night because my brain is racing, yep. confrontation every day. Nothing is, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of laid back in my approach, you know, like, oh, I, I'll get a phone call. I missed a deadline. No problem. Uh, you got to file a motion with the court. I have no control over that. But it's yeah. out of focus. How much time do you need? Could yeah. I get 10 days? Sure. Would I be greedy if I asked for 14? No. Take it. Like, what's it going to do? Because at some point in time, I'm going to need that time too. Yeah. I don't like that confrontation. When sometimes I'll say, you know what? I missed the deadline or, you know, I'm traveling or we had a death of the family recently. Can I get an extra handful of days? To-? Nope. So I think the biggest obstacle is civility and just remembering that we're all people. And like uh, someone who I follow and and like, his name is Scott McGregor. He has a a phrase that he uses called people over everything. Mm. And I live by that. We're all humans. We're all people. Give the courtesy. I don't care if you're on the other side or if you're just be human towards. Yeah, if you feel justified or whatever. Right. Yeah. I'm human. We're all human beings. Awesome. I like that. That's a. I know it's not your quote, but no, no, you said it. So yeah, it's well no. said. <laughs> Scott McGregor has it, and I have the shirt. It's it's people, and then a line in the middle, and then the word everything inside a circle. Over everything. It's it's yeah. great. People over yeah. everything. Yeah, easy to remember. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, if people want to learn more about you, they want to get in contact with you, they want to reach you. What's the best way for them to do that? So I have a website. Oh, LinkedIn is, is probably the best. It's, okay. uh, you can find me at Jason-S-Weiss on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on my website at uh, JSWLawyer.com. Okay. Or you could just email me at uh, Jason at JSWLawyer.com. I respond to emails on LinkedIn pretty, pretty quickly. I think I shut down the inquiry on the on the website page yeah. uh, because it was getting just too many spam things. But yeah. either email or uh, LinkedIn or just call the office at any point in time. It's on my website. The number is there. Okay, contact information on there, and we'll have links to all those things uh, on the on this podcast when it airs in the details of the sh- of the show. Okay. Great. All right. Jason, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. Very informative. 
true pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening, tuning in, watching, and subscribing to the LPF Advisors Podcast, the Confident Retirement Podcast, where we're hoping to raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, listening, and watching. Be well. Take care. We'll see you next time. Jason, thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.